You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you. With professional-grade industrial supplies, count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. Your host, Andrew Donaldson. This is Herb Tell. Ah, it's Herb Tell's show. It's Friday, folks. You made it. Congratulations. Well done. Uh, it's July the 8th, year of our Lord, 2022. I'm Andrew Donaldson. Thank you for joining us on Herb Tell. Very busy day to get through before we get to our weekend today. Uh, we're going to talk about quite a few things, something near and dear to my heart. We've covered it uh, extensively. Uh, over the course of events here on Herd Tell, we're going to go back to West Virginia, um, Huntington, West Virginia, a place I know well. I used to live and work there. Uh, the opioid trials, uh, the state and the city and county uh, had brought suit against the pharmacy companies. There has been legal developments there during this week. We're going to go to local reporter Courtney Hessler um, is going to break that down for us. A lot to go into this. It's a people story it's an addiction story it's a political story it's a legal story we're going to go to the source she's been covering this for years she personally grew up in west virginia she's not only a local reporter she's a local native she's also had her own family touched by opioid addiction she'll talk about this great conversation on a very important topic opioid addiction and the legal course of events that have happened this week with courtney hessler will be our guest on herd tell today please don't miss that um we're going to go overseas. We covered British politics a lot this week with the resignation of Boris Johnson. If you didn't miss our best of show from yesterday, we went back. We talk a lot about accountability on here. So we went back and replayed how we've covered it. You can listen for yourself what we got right, what we got wrong. But Boris Johnson has stepped down. Little bit of humor injected into how the uh, resignation was covered uh, with an old British TV theme song. We'll cover that in just a little bit. Uh, also, we're going to get into the supply side and supply chain shortages, why they're actually happening. We're going to try to turn the noise down on it. Great reporting out of the Houston Chronicle. Uh, what items are missing from the shelves? What are hard to get and why? We're going to break that down for you. Turn down the noise on all that 
here in just a little bit. Also, we're going to finish with a restaurateur in Cleveland wanting to use uh, charity events to give back using food and even maybe Dungeons and Dragons on top of it. That's in the news and in the social media feeds because of Stranger Things. We'll talk about that in just a little bit. But first, um, absolutely shocking news out of Japan overseas. We have to start with uh, Shinzo Abe, who the longest serving Japanese prime minister. He served two different terms. If you're not familiar with the name, uh, the famous photo of former President Trump where he was at the G7 or G8, whatever it was at the moment, uh, and all the world leaders are leaning over him and he's sitting back in the chair kind of doing his Donald Trump smirk. Uh, Senzo Abe got kind of the press from that photo. He's the one in the background rolling his eyes at the whole thing. Um, this is a man who's been a strong ally of America for many, many years. He's been an important global player in a lot of areas. Plus, he helms Japan, one of the world's uh, most important economies. He's not been in office, he, but he was campaigning for the upcoming elections there. Uh, and the reporting out of there is shocking this morning as we're recording her tell. Shinzo Abe uh, has been shot in an assassination attempt. The reporting is still coming in. Um, Prime Minister Kishida has addressed the media. Uh, he immediately came back to Tokyo. He's convening the cabinet. He said, and this is a direct quote, this is from The Guardian, pouring, quote, uh, Prime Minister Kishido, currently doctors are doing everything they can at this moment. I am hoping and praying that the former Prime Minister Abe will survive this. He described the shooting as a heinous act. There is video. We're going to link to this in the show notes. Uh, the video is very graphic. I'll warn you of this. They have it on video. He's doing a campaign event. He's in kind of like an intersection in a city. This is a very public place. Man walked up to him and shot him. Now, this is shocking in Japan because they have some of the strictest gun laws in the world. Uh, private citizens are not allowed to own firearms, especially handguns. We have a pretty clear picture of what we think the weapon was here. It distinctly looks like it was homemade. Uh, it's got two barrels, if you will. Um, it's covered in wires on the back. It looks like electrical tape is holding this thing together. It is clearly a homemade weapon of some type. Former prime minister was shot twice. The reporting is in the left chest and in the neck. It does not sound good. Uh, the terminology, and of course, there's a language barrier here. The terminology that the first responders they talk to uh, roughly translates to cardiopulmonary arrest. Uh, there are people who cover Japan and are experts in the Japanese language who say the specific terminology they're using for that would be that he doesn't have any vital signs. Now, he is in the hospital. They have not announced a death yet, but it sounds very, very, very dire. Um, he's in critical condition as the official line, but none of this sounds good a clear assassination attempt on an important world leader. Now, he's no longer in office, like we mentioned, but he was campaigning, and this is somebody who's been a big part of the world order for a very long time. They don't have motives on this, but it is something to keep in mind. Um, we know there's threats of assassinations. We know there's crazy makers out there. We know there's politically motivated people out there. We've seen plenty of violence in various forms over the years. Uh, this is a sad day. It is a shocking day. And it's something that's going to be very important to keep an eye on. Um, this is the worst fear of any country. When you set aside politics and culture and all the yelling, the worst fear of a country is for their leader to be assassinated. It causes chaos. It's bad for the order. It's a heinous terroristic criminal act. And it also puts to fear that if a world leader with all their security and all their power can be hit, nobody is safe. We all understand that and human life is fragile. But as of right now, this is what we know about Abe. He was shot twice in the chest and the neck is the reporting. 
we know it was a homemade weapon, so it's hard to tell, you know, what he was actually, the projectile was here. Um, there has been no announcement of death yet, but the initial reports from the first responder were very, very grave indeed. This is a breaking, developing story as we record Hortel. Uh, the weekend is coming up, so we may not be able to update this. We will send you links to the live updates of the media reporting. Please keep track of this story as best you can. And our thoughts and prayers are with him and his family and the nation of Japan in this very dark moment. We're going to get to other things in just a moment. Please stick with us right here on Hurt Tell. Tell. Uh, let's talk supply chain for a minute. Uh, we've talked about it, of course, over the course of events. The uh, pandemic, of course, messed things up. We've talked about it with things like fuel. We've talked about things with the silly stuff like toilet paper and more important things like the baby formula and like drugs and things like this. The Houston Chronicle has a really interesting piece. They lay it out as one of these new style pieces that I like. They're kind of like information graphics. You click through it more than you read it. Uh, Monique Welch wrote this particular piece. We'll link to it in show notes. Read the whole thing on yourself. Shortages from supply chain issues have hurt these products and industries the most, and they go product to product and kind of talk about some of the things that are disappearing from the shelves and why. It's everything from foodstuffs to really important things like the baby formula thing, things like feminine hygiene products to things like condiments. Let's start with the condiments. French's mustard, you know, the uh, ubiquitous and well-known yellow things of mustard for those of you that like mustard. I do not, but I won't judge you. Hot dog just needs ketchup. That's all it means. We'll fight about that some other time. Uh, French's mustard. Uh, some staple pantry items like mustard were at risk of mass shortages due to climate change affecting key ingredients. Canada, one of the world's largest mustard seed producers, has seen a 28% drop in yield with the cost per ton nearly doubling to $1,700. Droughts in Canada's prairies have vastly decreased mustard seed productions with plants that would typically see, produce 8 to 10 seeds a year producing 4 to 6 seeds a year annually instead. How about sriracha? You know, that uh, famous hot sauce. Uh, there's a shortage of it. The mustard shortage seeds also came after Hui Fong Foods. That's the real famous one with the rooster on it and a whole bunch of words that I'm not even going to attempt to pronounce. Um, told customers it would be suspending production of sriracha, its signature hot sauce, and its chili garlic and sambal olic sausage. Uh, if you never had sambal, by the way, great stuff. A drought in Mexico is causing the production suspension, Business Insider reported, affecting the yield of key chili peppers Haifong Inc. uses in its signature hot sauces. What about peanut butter? Well, this one, uh, again, from the Houston Chronicle, we're going through these products. Uh, it's been low in stock. It's not actually a supply chain issue. The peanut butter shortage is largely in part to just manufacturers announcing a voluntary recall in May over potential salmonella contamination. The recalls included 50 types of peanut butter, which have been linked to outbreaks across 12 states and have hospitalized two people. And of course, anytime you have news items like that, that's going to affect uh, not only production, but also the product purchasing. I know when that happened first thing in our house, they all got thrown out whether they needed it or not. Uh, let's talk about uh, feminine hygiene products, tampons. Uh, this shortage stems from a combination of staffing challenges at factories, transportation bottlenecks due to China's production lockdowns, and rising cost of key materials like cotton, rayon, and plastic used to make the products manufacturers say. Meanwhile, the impact of inflation has hit 
these products in general. Inflation trackers say the price of things like tampons and other feminine hygiene products have surged nearly 10% over the last year, according to NPR. Remember, we talked about baby formula on this program before. What happened out there? The beginning of this shortage goes all the way back to February 2022 when Abbott Laboratories recalled several defective brands. Abbott Labs also had to shut down a factory in Michigan after at least two babies died and four were hospitalized with bacterial infections. But it's more complicated than even that. Uh, there's regulatory issues here also because Abbott shutdown was so bad because Abbott had the contract for WIC. And when you're the provider of choice for any kind of government program, that's going to affect other people's production and how they go about the market because it can't compete with the federal government. We had a lot of eggs in the Abbott basket and it burned us. But that was the baby formula thing. We know about that from earlier in the year when we covered it here on Herd Tell. Supplies worsen, back to the Houston Chronicle. When U.S. health officials warned parents mid-February not to use three popular powdered infant formulas because of the bacterial contamination, despite baby formulas high out-of-stock rate, the overall retail price actually did not increase, according to Data Assembly. Since late last year, the average price remained $24 to $25. What about all those uh, COVID products, hand sanitizers, masks, all that sort of thing? Uh, for weeks, back to the Houston Chronicle piece. Shoppers had no luck finding hand sanitizers, disinfectant wipes, and other cleaning supplies. Products like rubbing alcohol used to make the do-it-yourself hand sanitizers pretty much vanished from the shelves. At the time, Clorox said its shortages of wipes would spill into 2021, and it did. The problem became so severe, the Alcohol, Tobacco, t excuse me, the alcohol Tax and Trade Bureau eased regulations for distilleries to produce and sell sanitizers. Once again, notice there's some regulation things. Folks, there's a little rule of thumb here. If you can waive the regulation in a crisis to get things moving, maybe we should look and see if we needed that regulation in the first place. Uh, let's talk microchips. This is a big, big deal. Uh, this is greatly affecting automobiles and other things. Uh, I don't know if you noticed, but it's almost impossible to buy a used car at a good price right now because the prices are through the roofs. Um, Houston Chronicle, a global shortage of microchips has upended manufacturers' ability to make everything from cars to computers to hearing aids. Sony blamed the shortage of its new PlayStation 5 on the lack of microchips. Whirlpool executives warned the chip shortage would hurt its ability to churn out appliances. Personally, I don't buy any washers or dryers that have microchips in them because they don't last so long, but your mileage may vary. Caterpillar, the heavy equipment manufacturer, officials said it could affect the company's ability to deliver heavy machinery. And rapid production of COVID vaccines only ate more of the global supply of silicon, affecting the supply of chips, experts told the Chronicle. This microchip shortage then led to another shortage in cars, both new and used. This brought higher vehicle prices with more consumers paying MSRP or prices well above sticker. Pre-owned vehicle prices jumped 40% in a surge in demand. The inventory shortage also pushed manufacturers to take unprecedented steps like implemented strict limitations on trading in a lease vehicle or prohibiting third-party buyouts to get more cars back to their dealerships. 40% increase in used car prices. You put that with the fuel prices, you have yourself a transportation crisis, folks. Um, let's talk food. Chicken wings. What's that got to do with anything? Well, it turns out quite a bit. In Texas, the chicken wing shortage spiked as a result of February 2021's winter storm, which disrupted production and caused prices to skyrocket. Not the chicken wings. There were no shortages of chicken breasts, tenders, or boneless wings, however. Boneless wings are nuggets. I will fight you on this. Uh, there's no such thing as a boneless 
chicken wing. It's chicken nugget. Anyway, lumber. This is a big one. Uh, I told you on this program, I had some fencing quoted, and the guy told me they don't even quote wooden fencing right now because it's way too expensive for most folks, and it would take them way too long to get the products to do it. So they simply quit quoting it. Uh, we had our friend Jericho Hill on talking about he's doing some home improvement projects and then scheduled out like 18 months in advance trying to get lumber. Anyway, lumber, Houston Chronicle. Demand for lumber and prices rose as the pandemic drove people to seek new homes with backyards or upgrade their outdoor spaces like decks, pergolas, and she sheds. At the time, nation's dwindling sawmill capacity diminished after the housing bust of 2008 held back supply between the beginning of March 2020, which was the COVID shutdowns, in the beginning of May 2021, when the vaccines started really hitting, futures for lumbers more than quadrupled, topping $1,670 per thousand board feet. The list goes on. We touch on the toilet paper again. Um, read the whole piece in the Houston Chronicle. But remember, when you have a shortage on the shelf, what's one of our founding principles here on Herdtail that we use to turn down the noise of the news? Things do not happen in a vacuum. They happen in a sequence. Notice every single one of these has some kind of sequence, either an event or regulation or a combination thereof that causes these things. And it's important to understand why they're happening and not just overreact to them. More Hertel right after this. Uh, welcome to Hertel. Okay, we're, we're going to go to Huntington, West Virginia, uh, the opioid crisis in West Virginia, a local reporter with the Herald Dispatch in Huntington, West Virginia, Courtney Hessler. How are you, ma'am? Thank you so much for your time today. Uh, I'm doing pretty good. Thanks for having me, Andrew. Let's start bigger picture, though, because these things, what happens is we start talking data and we start talking buzzwords and we start talking stereotypes and everybody kind of loses perspective of what's going on. Tell people who don't know, I've lived and worked there, you're from there. Talk about the people and the city of Huntington and kind of put a human face on it for me. Well, you know, Huntington, your listeners probably know as best, like it's where Marshall University is located. Marshall, and it's, it's kind of a saying that is getting old, but uh, Huntington lives and dies with Marshall University. That's the center of it. You know, um, your listeners have probably heard of it from We Are Marshall, the major motion picture, um, but Huntington was built on the Ohio River. It's an industrial town, or it was, and as uh, those jobs declined, so has our population, and we're kind of um, seeing an effect from that. Um, West Virginia has a history of really hard-hitting jobs, labor jobs, and um, because we work hard, our body hurts more. And because of that, you know, um, we've had to turn to uh, medical help. And that's all started with opioids being prescribed. You know, it, it goes back to the Slackler family and Purdue Pharma and their promotion of opioids. And about 2007, a flood just started is how people are describing it of opioids being sent into our area over a seven-year period seven or eight years Huntington received uh, about 80 million 
pills from just three opioid distribution companies, uh, Amerisource, Morgan, McKesson, and uh, Cardinal Health. And that rage, the flood just continued to increase until 2012 when the DEA really caught on and, you know, the regulation belts were tightened more and the drastic increase to their legal doctor prescriptions uh, to turn to illicit drugs on the street. And, you know, that was 2012 or 10 years later and we're still suffering. Overdoses continue to rise each year. We did get some headway before the uh, crisis started, the pandemic started, but um, because the pandemic cut off so many connections, personal connections that have been made to get people the help that they needed, uh, that really just caused it to aggravate again. So we're sitting here today and our people are suffering, our people are still dying, and we really just have no end in sight. What was it about this particular area? Because like you said, there was other parts of the country down in the coal fields. I know Oceana was a hotspot for this where you got, I forget, mm-hmm. someone got, you know, you have a town of two, 3,000 people and they had hundreds of thousands of these pills thrown in there. Yeah. Was there a particular reason for this area that ever came out, either in the trial or in the supposition or just in the, some of the reporting y'all have done? Why Huntington? You know, it's a it's a it's a smaller right. size city. You know, is there a specific reason why? I know you went through the background of West Virginia. Yeah. Some of that comes from kind of the mining and the mill. Pro- there's there's an old huge steel producing area there between there and neighboring Asheville to right. Kentucky. Um, why Huntington though? What made this such an epicenter for all of this? it's so multifaceted like it's it's ridiculous you could uh, account for anything but one thing that really stuck out to me in the complaint that the city of Huntington and Cabell County had filed against uh, the opioid firms one line really stuck out to me and I can't remember the specific number but it was about the marketing practices of Purdue Pharma uh, and um, their uh, marketing consulting company, McKinsley, and it was something like the Huntington and Cabell County area received like, it was like 30 times the amount of marketing that other areas received. So for every dollar that was going into opioid marketing in other communities, in our area, it was like 30 times that. And I really think that that's what it goes back to. So the theory on this was it got kind of interesting and got the national attention. What you've been reporting on for the last few years is Huntington and Cabell County, which Huntington's in Cabell County, it's by far the majority of the population. They decided to kind of do this novel thing where they went out on their own and went to court against the pharmacy companies, the big three pharma, they call them. What was the thought process for there? I know the model was kind of the tobacco settlements of, of years past. But locally, what was the thought process of they going, hey, we're going to go this alone and try this novel approach? Well, you know, for Huntington and Cabell County, I've really come to the term like uh, Cabell County and Huntington kind of walked. So the 2,500 plaintiff cities and counties who have joined in similar claims nationally could run. So they were on the forefront. They were one of the first uh, lawsuits that were ever filed. And I think it it all comes back to um, a local attorney called, his name's Paul T. Farrell Jr. His dad's a circuit court judge here too. And he just had this notion that 
he was sick of it and he wanted to do something about it. And he might be one of the smartest people that I ever know. Like I, I, I can barely comprehend his mind or his thought processes. It's brilliant, but he was sick of it. He knew his town and his, his hometown was hurting and he wanted to do something to fix it. And we just got lucky enough that he's from here and this is where he wanted to start his journey. Yeah. Courtney Hessler from Huntington joining us, a reporter, fine journalist. Make sure you're following her. Her information's on the lower third there. And we're going to link to these pieces in the show notes. Okay. They took it to trial, the big three pharma. Uh, This has been a long, arduous process. There's (laughs) multiple, I don't want to call them side cases, but when you have a case as big, people join it. Some parts of it have been split off. There's been some uh, judicial review things where they've had to split it off into different cases. But over the 4th of July weekend, we had kind of a big deal ruling that got a lot of attention, might have got lost to some folks because of the holiday. Just walk it through us for a minute, though, because one of the major pieces of what they were shooting for here, uh, the judge basically struck down. Yeah. So last year, uh, Huntington and Cabell County became the first to go to trial in those 2,500 cases or so. Uh, against the distributors in federal court. It lasted all through last summer. It was months long. um, And every single detail about how the opioid epidemic started and how it got to where it is today was shared. And it ended in the end of July. And we hadn't heard anything since. And the judge, late 4th of July, he dropped the opinion on it that essentially ruled against the plaintiffs in every single aspect that they had claimed. They claimed that the uh, distributors had blindly just shipped pills in without doing their due diligence to check records, pharmacy records, um, that they promoted this, that they encouraged it. They just turned a blind eye because they were going to be profiting off of it and um the judge just disagreed with them completely he he said you know it's really sad that our state's facing this that the country is facing this but the law the public nuisance law does not protect uh, um us from that we talk about i know the mayor said that when this ruling came out that this was um this was a blow to accountability that's the word he used yes um this is such a big problem, though. I know they want the the fiscal restitution because, you know, obviously that would be a major amount of money. And right. Huntington, unlike some other areas, they actually have infrastructure in place that this money could get put in the right hands immediately, which is often the problem in other places. Like, what do you send them, who do you send the money to? There's nowhere. That's not Huntington. If people just watch the documentary, they have the drug courts going. They have the second chance yeah. programs. They could use this money in an effective way because they're a major city. But isn't the bigger piece of that besides the money, um, they just wanted on paper what was done to them. You're there, you're in that community, you've had this affect you on a personal level. It's part of the West Virginia mythology of those of us that grew up there, we're always kind of the underdogs and the mistreated. Isn't a lot of this just getting it on paper somewhere of like, look, we have to listen to all these pillbilly jokes. This was done (laughs) to us. This wasn't something we chose and we want it on paper and we want it on the record for posterity. You know, um, you said accountability, and that's a big part of this case. You know, one of the most heartbreaking parts of the trial for me last year was whenever um, they revealed emails from CEOs of these companies who were 
um, you know, rewriting the Beverly Hillbillies uh, theme song to include Pillbillies about like West Virginia Appalachians, like going down the Pillbilly Highway to um, Florida to get prescriptions for pills and and just jokes like that. And to see somebody that's making millions of dollars a year sit there while Appalachians are dying is just heartbreaking for me. You know, you're from here, you know, Appalachians have a long, long history of being exploited. And this is just another blow to that. Yeah, it sure is. Uh, Courtney Hessler joining us. She is from the Herald Dispatch in Huntington, West Virginia, great local reporter talking about the court cases, the opioid crisis, putting a familiar face and name to it. We're going to talk more about that pillbilly thing in just a second. Also, we're going to go through some of the stereotypes. Even though this court case got complicated and they didn't get to find it, there's some really important information that came out in this case. Yeah. We're going to detail that with her. We're going to take a quick break, return, continue with her on her tell right after this. Uh, welcome back to Herd Tell, an important conversation, one near and dear to my own heart. Uh, y'all know how West Virginia I am. It's right behind me every single episode. I'm actually wearing the shirt today. I apologize to her, though, because she's a Marshall girl. Uh, so, we'll, But, hey, same team for this one. Like, As long as they're not right. playing each other, we, we, we try to pull for each other, um, especially now that Coastal Carolina is going to be up there more often. We'll be doing that. Uh, Courtney Hessler joining us from the Herald Dispatch in Huntington, West Virginia. Great local reporter. Please follow her work. Let's start right back up with that pillbilly thing, because when that happened, I wrote about it because that that got me hard. And the way I opened my piece on it was like, OK, I thought I'd heard every West Virginia joke there was. And you got to remember when I went to basic training for the Air Force, they called room to attention to give me my first pair of shoes and all that. And, you know, second cousins and it's a toothbrush instead of a teeth. brush. I thought I'd heard it all until this pillbilly thing. Right. Boy, that one cut. Um, was it the same for you when you heard these? And there was a lot more to that. They actually, th- that was not like a one liner. It was a theme. Uh, break that down and how that was received in the community. Well, um, it was definitely one of my most read stories. That's for sure. I remember I got the email the day before my best friend's wedding and I was the matron of honor. And I'm like, well, well, this might be a little bit more important to work on right now, but, um, it's jokes that we, we kind of make among ourselves, but when someone, a big old CEO is sitting in his office and sending emails back and forth or whatever, it's just like, you can't make jokes like that. You haven't lived the pain and suffering that we have lived. It's not funny. I see, I grew up around opioid abuse um, and mental health issues, and I have PTSD from it that still affects me every day so hearing and seeing that email is it's just it still like irks me to my core today and I know that the defendants were found not liable in this uh, certain instance but it's things like that that are I just think make the trial so important to have happened still yeah I was talking to our friend Dr. Keith Humphreys and the way he phrased it um, when it comes to money is the money is essential, but it's not standalone. 
And when you're talking yes. about the stereotypes, yeah, it's haha, funny stuff. But in this particular case, when you're trying to get funding for things, when you're trying to put a human face on things to raise awareness, to get funding at the federal level and the state level and from the charity folks and all this, those stereotypes are, are it's not an exaggeration. Those stereotypes can kill people yes. because it dehumanizes. And once you start dehumanizing now, it's well, it's just an attic laying over there. What do we care? And it's not no, that's a family member. And these are little, you can talk about this in yeah. Huntington, especially people that watch the documentary on the drug courts. An addict is not just hurting themselves. These are bombs that go off in families and communities and cities and principalities that absolutely have a blast radius. And those stereotypes make that blast radius worse. I think it's important to note too, that these are the voices that were left out of the trial. The judge didn't hear from any um any personal stories from family or somebody who is suffering from substance use disorder. And I think, I'm not sure if that would have changed his opinion any, but these people want their voices to be heard. And in this instance, in, in the settlement with uh, Purdue Pharma that's being worked on right now, it's just continuous that these personal stories are being left out of the courtroom. We understand legally why they have to do things like that. Um, but when you did the reporting on this, when you talked to lawyers, when you talked to the, yeah. the people that have actually been in the courtroom for this thing, were they surprised by this? Was it kind of out of nowhere? Some people are reading into the fact that he did this over the 4th of July weekend, because obviously, you know, the publicity yeah. on this was going to be hot. What was the overall reaction from the people, you know, not just the public, the legal people, the folks that actually know how these things go? Well, I can't get any of the attorneys to talk to me. <laughs> so um, I think that's because they have confidentiality, uh, contracts signed and all that. But I do know that in my discussions with them over the last year, they've all been feeling positive about it. They felt like it was going to be a great outcome for them. They weren't sure what the amount of money was going to be, but they really felt like they left it all on the table. Now, I don't think, you know, any good attorney is knows that nothing is for certain. Um, so they had to think that this was a possibility to have happened. But I don't think that any of the attorneys I've talked to um, felt like there was any more that they could have presented to the judge. Yeah, now that's the criminal trial or the, excuse me, the civil trial. That's the legal side of this. You brought up something in your tweeting as you were kind of summarizing the last few days yeah. as you processed all this. You have to talk about the government side of this. We've talked about the community. We've talked about the legal part of this. Where's the state and local government fall into this? Because, again, it's not accidental this happens in West Virginia. What has their role been in this crisis? Well, um, you know, our state attorney general, Patrick Morrissey, has his own cases going. Um it's so complex, it's really hard to break down into a single podcast, you know, but uh, he had, there's several other cases that were supposed to go to trial. All the state, all, all the cases filed in state court against the distributors was set to go to trial Tuesday. And uh, because of the ruling coming out on the 4th of July, they decided to meet Tuesday and just push back those cases indefinitely. There has been talks that a settlement is in the works, but again, I can't get any of the attorneys to uh, tell me if that's happening or not, so I'd hate to confirm that, but um, in the end, Cabell County and Huntington will still get nothing out of that, but um, it could be a big windfall for the state. 
Um, they, they have our Attorney General Morrissey is uh, working on setting up a fund through the state legislature that will describe where all this opioid settlement money will uh, have to go in the future. And that way, like back in the 90s, when there was the tobacco settlement that went to, it was a, a very large settlement that was supposed to help people uh, stop smoking cigarettes, it went to fix roads or infrastructure issues. So at least we have something like this in place that will make sure that the opioid money goes toward actually helping people with substance use disorder and their families. The other part of this was that even though this may not be the successful conclusion to some of these court cases, a lot of folks think the information that has come out of this, there's other uh, defendants and plaintiffs, there's going to be more cases. We already talked about this has kind of been a a shattering windshield thing where we chipped it and now there's all these branches going all the A lot of the experts studying this think the information that has come out of this is actually going to lead to more going forward. Talk about that for a minute. You talked about it as well. Um, This is not the end. This is more the the end of the middle of the beginning, isn't it? Yeah, so there's so much information that came out of this trial that we would have never known if it wouldn't have take, taken place. And for the Pillbillies emails that we uh, have already talked about, um, just all the details, hearing an expert, I feel like I could have another college degree just by all the information I heard. Um, it, all, it helped me heal too, just from um, being around this my entire life and hearing, you know, it's not necessarily my, um, my care to be determined for her. But also um, the Herald Dispatch, the HD Media, who owns us, and the Washington Post found out that the DEA keeps a database of all the pills that are being shipped to various places from the time that they're created and um, until the time that you ingest it. And so that data was turned over as part of this lawsuit. And we were able to fight in federal court to get that information released. The Washington Post has a great database of it. If you just uh, Google, where did the pills go? Washington Post, you'll be able to find it. But um, we fought for that information to be released. And it really showed the details of the pills that just flooded into our communities. And we wouldn't have been able to find that and get that information to the public without this case. Yeah, Courtney Hessler joining us from Huntington, West Virginia, great local reporter. We'll link to that uh, in the notes as well so folks can find that. Let's let's round back to where we started. Um, again, these things get lost really quick in legal terminology. They get lost quickly in stats and stereotypes and buzzwords. Let's go back to that personal face of this. You, you've made no bones in your public media and your writing how personal this gets for you. Uh, let's not even pretend there's not bias here because you, there's no way you can't be because you live here. Yes. Um, start there and kind of round this out that yes this phase of it's over but I know it's disappointing you've talked openly about your disappointment with how that goes where does it go from here because like you said Huntington you know the the documentary if people haven't watched it we'll link to that as well they've got some innovative stuff going on they're having funding problems it's not getting any better but they seem to be able at least start figuring out how they're going to fight this going forward give us some positives out of kind of this dark tunnel we're in right now well, Huntington and Cabell County have a $2.6 billion, that's billion, dollar plan 
to abate the entire opioid crisis in our community within 15 years, which that seems like a long time, but the plan is so thorough and so well thought out. It's made by all so many different parties in our community that it's exciting to think that we have an answer of how to fix it. We just have to figure out where is that money coming from? And so whenever Huntington and Cabell County filed this lawsuit, it didn't just include the distributors. Huntington and Cabell County were kind of a guinea pig to go to trial against the distributors first and for the rest of the 2,500 or so uh, lawsuits that were filed. And we, we know how that worked out. So now the next step, of course, they're going to appeal this and see what they can do in a higher court. But they still have lawsuits pending against doctors who prescribe the medicine, many of who, who have died already. They have lawsuits against uh, manufacturers, uh, pharmacies, and just everyone from the bottom up um, who was involved with starting and fueling this crisis. Yeah. Courtney Hessler, great reporter. Um, let folks know where they can follow you. We're going to have you back on the show real soon with some of your other local reporters. Maybe we can talk some Marshall football when that goes down. Yeah. We're getting a new baseball <laughs> stadium. That'll be kind of cool. Yeah, I'm really uh, excited long, about that. Yeah, long needed. And that that old CSX yard was an eyesore. I've, that oh, was kind yeah. of the dead spot when you drove past uh, the football stadium and tried to get to the rest of the town. Uh, we'll get you back on. Until we have you yeah. back on the program, though, let folks know where they can follow you. Let them know where they can follow the paper and let them know where they can follow you on social media. Yeah, so I'm uh, really big on Twitter, and you can follow me at Hessler uh, HD on Twitter, or you can follow the newspaper at Herald Dispatch. So it's pretty simple, or HeraldDispatch.com. Yeah, they do good work. It's a very uh, interesting little corner of the country. Yeah. I enjoyed living there. Uh, Marshall's a great school. We we give it a little hard time when you. Uh, the, the old joke, of course, is WVU was the state school. Marshall was the private school. It's a lot different now. Than right. Marshall, yeah. You know, the healthy, friendly, brotherly rivalry. Uh, nothing right. wrong with that. Uh, Courtney Hessler, thank you so much for the time today. I know it's a dark topic. Uh, sometime yeah. when you're writing on something uplifting, let us know. We'll make sure to get you on that and balance it yeah. out. But thank you so much for the time today. Really appreciate it. Yeah. Thanks for having me. And I can't wait to be back. Yes, ma'am. Thank you. Okay, we spent a lot of time here on Herd Tell this week on the developing situation on politics over in the UK. Our friends over there, uh, Boris Johnson, did finally resign. Uh, there's a thing that happens over there, though, right outside of Westminster where Parliament sits. Uh, they go outside and do interviews, same as like they do in Washington here. Uh, there's a green space kind of across the street from Westminster. They'll go out there and the members of Parliament or whoever the case may be. They will do their live shots right there and do their interviews. Well, this is a little lighthearted note because we've been covering that very heavy topic all week. Actor Hugh Grant sought a little humor in response to British Prime Minister Boris Johnson's announcement Thursday. This is from CNN Overseas. Um, Grant posted a tweet tagging a well-known protester and activist Steve Bray on Thursday, subtly suggesting he play the theme song to the British comedy series The Benny Hill Show. And most people will know if you don't, you can go YouTube it real quick or you can hit the link in the show notes. That theme is pretty universally understood as being very farcical. 
Uh, it's played usually the famous scenes, of course, was him running from the police in his underwear and crazy stuff like that. That, 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 that. I'm not going to sing it for you, but you get the idea. So uh, what happened, Bray, as it happened, had a speaker and he had a uh, the ability to do it. So they started doing it. So they started playing it at very high volumes outside. The effect was every time one of these uh, members of parliament or somebody else went to do their interview, whatever they were saying was backdropped by the Benny Hinn thing. So while they're saying their spin and their uh, political talking points, you get the Benny Hill theme song in the background. Pretty funny stuff. Well played, sir. Um, Grant, of course, has his own issues, but on this particular topic, I thought this was fun. They managed to pull out something humorous in an otherwise dark situation. The public and the internet is always undefeated. And this was a cool little twist on it. More Heard Tell right after this. to her tell okay we always end on a more positive note let's go to cleveland let's talk some food and let's talk some charity from a pretty well-known chef uh cleveland ohio this is from cleveland.com will burke's revival social dinners looks like it's getting a revival of short boy that sentence wrote itself <laughs> burke and his family left for washington dc area in 2019 last july they moved back to northeast ohio now a year later and with job school and activities settled in salon for the family Burke wants to resurrect his philanthropic focused food event initiative. Revival Social Dinner was a series Burke coordinated to brought together local chefs who cooked meals and proceeds of the dining events went to local charities. He volunteered to do food events with Chef John Selleck at Taste of Pepper Pike. That spurred something. I was talking to my wife about it and said, do you want to do it again? And sure came the answer. So we're going to do it again. Burke, whose wife Joy works from home, he works in the food service on the corporate side, and obviously the world has changed drastically in the last two and a half years, both from a social standpoint and from the standpoint that everyone likes yelling at each other even more than ever now, except on this show because we don't do that, but he's got a point. He added, we're trying to figure out how we're going to do it. Uh, I also want to think outside the box and do a Dungeons and Dragons pop-up. I love d and It was very therapeutic to do a monthly D&D with my friends back in Ohio during the pandemic. Charity-focused Dungeons & Dragons event with a direct effect on the communities and parodies said there's always been what we've been about. What about everything we're about? We started the community because that's where change starts. Burke, who sees his mission as a generational change focusing on those who help, has events lined up through Fieldstone Farm, a therapeutic writing center, as well as Ohio City Farm, the Refugee Response Group. Specific ideas include possibly starting a lobbying group for small independent restaurants. He said he once ran an event at LBM in Lakewood where a mission was to bring in an article of clothing to donate and you get in for $10. Another idea is to reach out to the restaurants that closed on a Sunday or Monday and say, I'll do the food, you do the alcohol since you have the license, you make the extra money off that. I'll pay your staff. I'll pay for the food and we donate the money. Burke said he wants to find a happy medium between being able to donate to a cause and to help restaurants at the same time. Whatever he comes up with, he keeps in mind an end game of trying to create a better future for his children and others, and he is looking to partner with other interested all-star chefs. Quote, independent small restaurants are a part of the community. They're a major part of the community, he said, and I just want to do good. At the end of the day, I want to help out Cleveland. Cleveland in this area has helped me more than it could know. I just want to pay it back a little. Interesting plan. 
Hope he does well. Always appreciate food-related charities and charities in general. You know how much we love food here. It's universal. You ever want to get really get along with somebody, sit down and eat with them. Real hard for people to fuss when they're breaking bread. Just a universal thing. Good on him for doing that. That'll do it for Herd Tell. Uh, great week of programming. Hope you were with us. Busy news week uh, all over the world. And here we will try to keep our best to keep you abreast of what's going on, not just in culture and politics in America, but we do the global stuff too. People ask why we spend so much time on things like Britain this week, because it's important. Wider perspective is always a good thing. We never want to get down in our tunnel of just chasing our priors and our biases in American media. That wide perception is vital. It's a great big world out there. We want to make sure we're keeping abreast of as much of it as possible. So you can keep abreast of us through all kinds of platforms. If you're listening on iTunes, Spotify, the podcasting platforms, if you're watching on YouTube, if you're watching on Facebook through our radio partner, Big Talker, dot live uh, if you're listening on their excellent app you can listen to the audio or the video portion both make sure you download their app it's a great product also has great things like the overnight music features if you want to contact us hertelshow at gmail.com hertelshow at the twitter love to hear from you questions comments epistles rants whatever you got bring it uh be nice keep your bearing might even put it on the show we've done whole segments uh, sometimes off questions people have we even had some of the respondents come on the show and uh, defend their takes themselves so looking forward to hearing from you we hope you have a great weekend busy week we'll be right back at it again monday don't forget twice on sunday that's uh, exclusive to the podcasting and our radio partner on big talker that is all the interviews from the past week in one stop shopping good talks all the interview segments are on a playlist on the YouTube channel, also on the podcast. And of course, full episodes. Uh, we're somewhere around 150 episodes of Hertel now. Very proud of it. You can find just about anything you want covered in there, and we hope you do so. So until we talk again, we hope wherever you are, across the street or around the world, we hope you're well. We hope you're well fed. And we will talk to you again soon on Hertel. Take care. All the music on her tell is provided under a creative content license from monstercat.com. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, excursions, and more in one place. There are over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from, so you can find something for everyone. And Viator offers free cancellation and 24-7 customer support for worry-free travel. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile, and the ones who get in early, so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, click Grainger.com, or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.